Good morning. James, in the third chapter of his letter, asks a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? He goes on to tell us how to show it. He says, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Um, it talks about the good life, what the good life is. Think of summer, think of the good life, and how he defines it. The good life is one in which deeds are done. And that which characterizes the deeds, they're done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's the good life. That's the good life. One in which deeds are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom. I think you'd agree there's different kinds of intelligence. This weekend, we think of graduation and intellectual intelligence. Those who garner degrees, be it from high school or college or whatever, there's not just intellectual intelligence, there's emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman wrote a book about emotional intelligence, that even when you graduate and, and get degrees, that relative to functioning in, the, in jobs, that what you know up here, if it's just intellectual, if you can't get along with people, that doesn't really bode very well. So emotional intelligence is factored in as well. But there's also spiritual intelligence. Let's Call that wisdom. Wisdom is spiritual intelligence. And when you, when you put your finger on the pulse of what wisdom is in the Bible, it's not just acquiring a body of knowledge. It's, and really, wisdom is not measured by how much you know. You could quote Bible verses or quote theologies, or, but wisdom is not really defined by what we know. It's measured by how we live our lives. And that's what James is going to get at. Wisdom is measured by the degree to which our lives reflect gentleness. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good deeds. By deeds, by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom expresses itself in gentleness. Talk about the fruit of wisdom. Why would we want to get wisdom to begin with? The Bible puts wisdom in very high regard. Look what it says, the first verse. Um, the Proverbs says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get wisdom. Um, Extremely valuable commodity. When you think about wisdom, it says the benefits of wisdom, that it provides protection. It provides oversight. Wisdom will watch over you. It's worth having. Another way to talk about the fruit of wisdom is not what it gives us, but it, how it expresses itself in action. And here's our verse again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The fruit of wisdom, again, is a good life. Humility. Deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility is a word elsewhere translated gentleness. Gentleness, most often. The word is translated gentleness. That's, I think, a better translation. <laughs> gentleness, then, evidences wisdom. 
And so if you're looking for an individual that's wise, what you would look for is the ability to be gentle. Wisdom evidences itself in gentleness. Therefore, in terms of spiritual intelligence, somebody who is gentle is wise. We think about Jesus that way. This letter by James will flesh out what gentleness looks like, and we'll follow this through the summer. Um, the letter is written by Jesus' half-brother, and James' letter focuses on what spirituality looks like in action. And James is in a good place to describe wisdom in action because Jesus was his half-brother. He grew up with him. Got to see him day in and day out. Jesus epitomizes wisdom. Jesus is wisdom personified. And James had a front row seat to see what wisdom looked like day in and day out at the dinner table, dealing with mom, dealing with dad, dealing with the temple. He got to see it up close and personal. And then he's in a position then to help us to understand what wisdom looks like. Um, let's try to get a clear idea of the nature of wisdom. And again, what we do look at is look at Jesus. And we're going to look at a time where it wasn't so much reflected in how he treated other people, but we find the root from which the fruit of wisdom is born. Let's look at Jesus in the wilderness, because really what we're going to find is this is the foundation for wilderness, how we deal with the things that Jesus dealt with. And we'll explain it. Look what it says. We read in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Let's make a couple of observations about wisdom as we kind of think about what Jesus would have dealt with and, and why he was able to respond the way he responded. I think one thing we could say about wisdom when we think about what Jesus does here is that wisdom lets us stay put. Wisdom lets us stay put. Um, for Jesus, wisdom allowed him to live in tension, not escape it. And again, when you think of it, all the things that were offered him, if he gets physical bread, it removes the temptation by removing the hunger. And what we know is that hunger can create emotional questions. You know, when we live with chronic need, we begin to call into question, am I really cared for? I mean, if I was cared for, wouldn't somebody give me what I need? And therefore, it would have created maybe some emotional questions in Jesus' mind. And if he 
stands at the precipice of this thing and jumps down, and God sends his angels to scoop him up, that would kind of calm some emotional reactions that Jesus might have. But he said no to the provision of bread, which would satisfy the physical need. He said no to the proof of God's care, which would have solved the emotional need. And he also said no to having all the glory of all the kingdoms, which would maybe have submerged the need. So I guess what I'm saying is, all these things, Jesus um, was able to say no to that which would have removed the tension. And it was wisdom that allowed him to stay put. Wisdom lets us stay put. Significant, because when desires are frustrated, we are driven to make something happen. Driven to make something happen when our desires are frustrated. Um, but Jesus was able to live with hunger. In fact, when our desires are frustrated, we have a couple of options. We can satisfy the desire, right? You have a desire, you can satisfy it. Or you can silence it and try to make yourself so you don't want it. That removes the tension. Or submerge it. You know, if, if you can't get, just think of something else. And so if your desire is over here and then you kind of get focused over here, then the fact that you don't have what you want kind of goes away. Or you can satisfy, silence, submerge, or soothe the desire and live with it. And that's what we're going to find. Wisdom allows us to soothe desires. When you think of it, um, the temptations Jesus experienced were aimed at his desires. And with the, the fact that he didn't have what he needed, providing bread would have satisfied the desires. That's the first of them. Satisfy the desires. And, okay, so he feels hungry. If he turns a stone into bread, that satisfies it. Okay. And if he, um, the offer of rescue it will silence the emotional questions associated with the father's care. He said, you're my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased, but it's been about a month and a half and uh, no dinner yet. Are you sure he's with you? Tell you what, hmm. why don't you make sure he's with you? Why don't you um, stand at this precipice, throw yourself down, God will scoop you up. It says in the Bible, he will command his angels concerning you, and they'll catch you so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. So it's biblical. So why don't you make God give you evidence that he's with you? That would silence the desire, wouldn't it, in a way? You know, he would still feel hungry, but he wouldn't feel afraid. Isn't that what makes desires difficult to deal with? It's not just the physical thing we need, but it's our emotional response to the fact that we need it. Desires make us feel at some level that we're not cared for. Would you agree? I mean, if I mattered, wouldn't you give me what I want? And you can direct that at others, or if I mattered, wouldn't you give me what I want? You're supposed to know me. You know what I need. And so Jesus has been a month and a half, and I thought you said you were going to be with me. And again, it would have 
silenced the need. Okay, so I know that you care about me. Even though you're not giving me food, you're around and you caught me. That would have silenced the need. Or Satan says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And you know what I think that would have done is submerge the need. You know, so if you have a need and you've got everybody in the universe smiling at you and saying, we want to do everything, it's like being at a rock concert. And people are screaming and yelling, and that probably make you forget your hunger, or you wouldn't have to sound. You submerge it. You submerge it. That's kind of what addiction is about, isn't it? If you have frustrated desires, you develop a mood-altering relationship with things, alcohol. And that will put the desire away for a little while, or there's a number of things you become addicted to. Spending, eating. Religion can be an addiction, a place that we try to pretend that we don't have needs, that we try to pretend that we're more spiritual than we are. Um, sometimes it can be a mood-altering relationship with a religious experience. At any rate, um, all these things would have alleviated or eliminated the tension, but Jesus didn't do any of them. He Wisdom lets us stay put. And wisdom lets us stay connected. Uh, you know what's interesting? Jesus felt connected with the Father. Definitely. He never doubted that. Listen, he didn't use his connection with the Father to allow him to eliminate temptation. Get this. But to endure it. Isn't that right? He was able to leverage the sense of connection not to eliminate the tension, but to endure it. And I think that's an evidence of wisdom. Wisdom lets us stay connected. Uh, he, and this is difficult, Jesus held his hunger and held the Father's hand at the same time. We have a difficult time with that. Some of us are really good at holding on to our needs. And if I say, how's life for you? Let me tell you how life is for me. And you'll, you can come with both the plus and the negative. And you're really good at holding your needs. And some are really good at holding the Father's hand. I know that he loves me. And some of us, and so, but to hold both of them is challenging. Some of us who can hold our own needs, we're not really good at holding the Father's hand. So I'm very aware of what I don't have, but I don't really want to think about the fact that he's supposed to care about me. So we, we don't, and some of us are really good at holding his hand, but we pretend we don't have a bunch of needs. And so even in our prayers, we, we oh, no, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for this day. I love my life. No, don't ignore those things in my hand. You know, we, but to, to really be honest about our needs, and to hold his hand at the same time is a very challenging thing. And wisdom allows us to do that, to hold on to both. That's what Jesus did. He didn't let go of his hunger, and he didn't let go of his father's hand. And that's why he was able to respond wisely. It's hard to be wise when we let go of him or when we let go of our needs. This is wisdom. In fact, you know what somebody described wisdom as? When you hold both of these things, it promotes the ability to kind of to live in your skin. In fact, somebody said this, wisdom, the wise mind, and they described it as really, 
is right here. This is the wise mind. And here's what they were saying. place where you're breathing deeply, where you're not, this is not the wise mind. When we, we tend to make very quick decisions. I just want to get out from the tension, but when we're in a place where we learn to live with the tension, and yet we can breathe, we tend to make better decisions, wise decisions. This is extremely challenging. Would you agree? You know what emotions are? Emotions come from the word, Latin word, emotere. That which gets us moving. Emotions get us moving. If I want something, all of a sudden my feet are very energized. If you're lying in bed, you don't want to get up. You know, and then the alarm goes off and you hit the snooze button. Snooze. How many of you hit the snooze button at least twice? Three times? Four times? Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then you, then you look at the time and then it, it hits you. Boy, I've got to get someplace. And then all of a sudden you're able to get out of bed. Emotions move us to action. And that's what they do. Emotions scream. Don't just sit there. Do something. That's what they are. They motivate us to, to take action. They motivate us to exert our influence. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change my circumstances. I'm going to... And that's what emotions do. Um, described emotions, they're kind of like kids in the back seat. Uh, so, here's, uh, so you're driving along, a couple of kids in the back seat, and... Um, I'm hungry. You know, emotions aren't quiet. Emotions are like kids. They tend to be very apparent. They don't whisper. Emotions shout. I'm hungry. And, and so how do you, relating to emotions is like relating to a kid in the back seat. And when are we going to stop? When are we going to be there? I don't want to be in the car anymore. And so if those are like emotions, how do you deal with emotions? Okay, that's it. Open the door. I throw them out. You know, so that's, that's it. They go. So some of us, that's what we do with emotions. We just, we get rid of them. We try to, we try to get rid of them. We throw them, up, we throw them overboard, thinking that we're getting rid of the emotion. We don't. We're burying them. Others, we don't, we don't ignore the emotions. Okay, you drive. And, you know, we give them, yeah, take the wheel, you get, the, you know, and so, and so we, we let emotions steer the automobile, like a little kid steering the automobile. That's not a great choice either. None of those is a really good choice, is it? You know, when you throw kids out the door, that's not a real good choice. When you give them the wheel, that's not a real good choice. And it's the same thing with emotions. Don't get rid of them. But don't give them the steering wheel. Pay attention to them. Regard them. At least pay attention to them. And then make decisions about what you're going to do based on what's up. That's what wisdom is, isn't it? Being in touch with what he says. Being in touch with what you need. 
stayed there long enough to learn to breathe. It's a very difficult thing, very challenging. Jesus was very wise, very wise in that way. Um, His emotions didn't frighten him. Um, he was able to regard his emotions without pitching them out of the car or giving them the steering wheel. Here's, here's, here's what happens. It's, it's about a week before he's going to die. He's in Jerusalem. I think Palm Sunday had already happened. And, and this is what he says. Listen to this. He's going to die in less than a week. Okay? Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You know what he ends up doing? He says, now my heart is troubled. Uh, Excuse me, Jesus. (laughs) You've got less than a week to live. It's probably not a real good thing that your heart is troubled. You know what Jesus does? Now my heart is troubled. And he held it. And you know what he did? Father, what should I say? And he held his father's hand. And he didn't get rid of the emotion, and he didn't let it direct. He just held it, held his father's hand, and then he was able to make a choice. You know what, Father? I'm not going to ask you to get me out of this place because this is the reason why you came. Do you know why Jesus came? He didn't just come to die. He came to hold an agitated heart. You know what an agitated heart is. You know what the picture of an agitated heart, we've talked about it, if, you, if there's a washing machine going and it's in the agitated cycle, ding, 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 ding. That's, and what Jesus did, he, he looked in and he kind of, well, look at that, I'm agitated. And there's the turbulence of emotions. I think there was a number of emotions there. I think that he felt fear. Oh, he couldn't, have, yes, he did. He didn't act on it. Is, is it, oh, let me ask a question. Is it wrong to have an emotion? Are emotions sinful? I think, did Jesus feel emotions? Did Jesus feel fear? I heard somebody say once, and really, I don't feel fear because fear is a sin. Look what the person said. You know what that person does? When there are emotions, they take them and they throw them out of the car. That's not a person who can be gentle. To be gentle, you've got to hold your emotions and the Father's hand at the same time. That's what Jesus could do. He's able to do that. Look at my my heart is turbulent, and he was able to own that. Emotions aren't not sinful. We're supposed to listen to them, We're supposed to hold them, and hold the Father's hand. Um, Jesus, I think he had a lot of practice holding difficult emotions. When he was 12, he was in the temple. And he understood that the temple at that time was not a place that you got spiritual life. It was a place that you got spiritual death. I think he knew that at age 12. And you know what ended up happening? 18 years ended up happening. He didn't know when he was going to get the green light to start his ministry. And he turned 13, 14. 15, 16, 17. People walking in and out of a place that consigned people to spiritual death. And that's not blowing. It's just what was happening at the time. It's like being outside 
of a doctor's office that claims to be an OBGYN specialist, but is really an abortion doctor. And knowing what's happening is people walk in wanting to give birth, and they don't give birth. And 17, 18, 19, 20, what's happening in Jesus' mind? He felt sad, and he threw it out the window, right? <laughs> I don't need, I'm, I'm God, for crying out loud. I can't feel grief and sadness about, no. He held on to that, and, and he held the Father's hand at the same time, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. He turned 26, 27, 28, 29, 18 years of learning to Stay put. Stay connected. Stay put. Stay connected. Wisdom. It's a difficult school to go to. And some of you know that. You've been in places where you have to stay put in places that you'd rather not be in. You can't exert influence to change your circumstances. Neither can you Exert influence not to want something different. Do you know what that's like? To not be able to not want something and to not be able to produce it. And you have to hold on to that and hold on to God. How many of you know how difficult? Yeah, that's difficult, isn't it? Some of us let go of what we want. Some of us let go of God's hand. Wisdom holds on to both. Um, living with inflamed desires is extremely difficult. I think that's why... Influence exertion is so addictive. Influence exertion. Change it in yourself. Change it in somebody else. And we must live like that. We have to exert influence. We have to, and it's sometimes, we're, yeah, we're supposed to make changes. But do we have to make changes in order to have peace? I don't think there's wisdom there. In fact, as influence exertion, the addiction to that increases, to the degree I become addicted to exerting influence, my ability to be gentle decreases. To the degree my compulsion to exert influence decreases, my gentleness quotient increases. It's hard to be gentle with others when you have to make them do what you want them to do. Why? Because I can't stand the feeling of not having what I want. Okay? All of us know what that's like. And influence addiction, it, it's addictive, influence exertion is. Jesus didn't have to influence his internal or external world to manage the tension. This is the reason for his gentleness. You know what he did? He trusted in his father's influence, so he didn't need to trust in his own. Here's what he said. Jesus spent a lot of time trying to influence people that couldn't be influenced. And this is what he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up at the last day. You know what he did? He trusted that God could influence who he wanted to influence. And so that allowed Jesus to say things to people and have them not buy it. Okay, God, you're in charge. It's really hard to do, isn't it? Really difficult to do, especially when you're hungry. And you're wondering, why aren't you giving me what I want? Why can't I have the life I want? Jay talked about, why do I have what I don't want? And why do I not have what I do want? 
hard to sit in that place. Um, that's the fruit of wisdom. It gives the ability to stay put and stay connected, both. Uh, the root of wisdom, notice where wisdom is cultivated. Uh, James 1, 2 through 8, earlier in the letter, uh, here's what it says. James 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We're going to unpack that verse. Look at what that verse is saying. There is a tool in God's hand that is going to be effective in promoting spiritual maturity. And I have good news and bad news. <laughs> the good news is the tool works, and God's really good with it. He's very adept at handling it. That's the good news. <laughs> and the bad news is that tool is perseverance. You know what God's going to do apparently? To put you in a place where he makes you the person he wants you to be. Put you in a place where you have to stay put and stay connected. That you have to hold on to hunger and hold on to the Father's hand at the same time and learn to live in tension. To leverage your connection to the Father, not to change, but not to change things. Um, leveraging connection to stay in an un uncomfortable place that goes on. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Let me tell you what perseverance means. Perseverance literally means to remain under. That's what it means. Two words. It's a compound word. Under and remain. Under remain. That's what, you know what perseverance is? Staying put. I'm in, there's a circumstance that it's bad because it's inflaming a desire, but I can't change it. And you know what perseverance is? Turning age 13, 14, 15, 16, still in the temple, seven, and then on and on and on and on and on and learning to stay put and stay connected. Because this is at the root of wisdom. The ability to exert influence because I choose to, not because I have to. I can live with not having things as I want them. And then we can express influence rather than exert it. And that's what Jesus learns. Uh, it, perseverance means to remain under, to endure, to stay put. Leveraging connection to remain in an uncomfortable place. And again, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I guess you know what that means. Being in a place where you can't exert your influence to change things a wilderness place, when apparently when we have to persevere, we can't influence things, is the time when God's influence in our life is at its sharpest. Is that what this is saying? Is that what it's saying? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything? You know what perseverance is? You're in a place where you have a desire and you can't eliminate it. 
what it means. When you're in a place where you lack the influence to get what you want, God's influence in you is ratcheted up. I guess what it means. To the degree we can control our world, God's influence in our lives is pretty shallow. When we can't control our worlds, God's influence in our life goes up. And you ask, why has God put you in an uncontrollable place? Why has he done that? It's not unreasonable what you want. You just want a family that will do this. You want a spouse that will do that. You want a job that will produce this. What's wrong? Why aren't you giving me what I want? Did you go somewhere? Did I zig when you zagged? Or did you zag when I zigged? Or I, I thought you were right here a minute ago. Why aren't you there? You know, what, you know what's up? He is there. Helping you learn to stay put and stay connected. You know why? Because wisdom is really worth it. And that's what wisdom requires. Difficult lesson. Why wisdom is in short demand. It's high demand, but it's not common. People can be in a tense situation and be breathing, thinking not only of their needs, but the needs of others. Would you agree with me? Very difficult. Very difficult. Wisdom lets us stay put. It fuels the ability to remain under difficulty. Uh, we hear this verse, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. You know how I usually hear this? I, I wish it meant. I'm in a situation, right? And I don't like my choices. I say, God, I pray for wisdom. And you know how the, way, the way we see the wisdom, what, the, what will the wisdom do? Enable everything to work out great. <laughs> so I'll get what I want, they'll get what they want. And we associate wisdom with everybody being happy. You know what wisdom means? When you ask God for wisdom, it really might mean not that you get what you need to get out of the situation you're in. You get what you need to stay in it. But you know what's going to happen if you stay in it? If you stay put and stay connected, you know what's going to happen? You're going to become like James' older brother. Jesus. Hmm. You thought God wasn't doing anything in your life. You thought God had abandoned you by leaving you in a place of need. And he's been there the whole time finishing his work. Doing the things in you that will make you Look like your older brother. God is your father. Jesus isn't just James' older brother. He's your older brother. And God wants to develop in you the family resemblance. His children are wise. They learn to stay put, stay connected. And that's what wisdom does. And that's when God says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. I'll give it to him generously without finding fault. He goes on to say, but 
make sure when you ask that you understand. You know what double-minded is? It says, it says if you're double-minded, don't expect that you're going to hear anything. Sometimes we, we feel like we're in this place because God's not producing anything or he's not providing anything. And, and that leads to the double-mindedness. And so I guess here's what I'm saying. We're going to close with this. Let's be very practical. You have what you don't want. Again, some of you aren't real good at holding. Let's practice. Let's try. You have what you don't want. But you don't have what you do want. You have to hold that. And, and you might need wisdom. And God says, ask him for it. What would that look like? Ask for wisdom. It would mean that you understand in holding these things that God is producing something. And he will provide something. It's not that he's gone. But he wants you to come to him understanding that he hasn't abandoned you. That's what double-minded. You know what double-mindedness isn't? Pretending that you don't have hurt. That's, that's double-minded. I love my life, and I'm really grateful for everything that I have. No, that's fine, but that's not very honest. You have things you don't want. Hold them. Hold them. God already knows you don't want them. Don't hide it. Be honest with them. God, I don't like that I have this in my life. That's what Jesus, God, I'm agitated. Be honest about it. But hold his hand at the same time. Can I? But you can do things. And I guess, you know what, God, what I need, I need the ability to, be, to stay put and stay connected. And if that's what wisdom does, that's what I want. Because I do want to be gentle like my older brother, like Jesus. And <clears throat> I think that's what it means. Joel, come on up. We're going to sing a, a song in closing. I like, um, found a quote in terms of what does God do in situations like this. Leslie Gould wrote, sometimes God calms the storm. And sometimes he does that. I'm not saying he doesn't, because he does. However, but sometimes God lets the storm rage and calms his child. That education can be costly. That's as true in the physical sphere. You are invested in helping us become your children. The place where we learn that is a place that, that we're not thrilled about inhabiting, but in the far side, it does lead to wisdom, which is a very, very valuable commodity, something that protects us and provides for us. That's just like Jesus. I pray that you'd teach us to stay put and stay connected, neither negating the difficulty, nor the hope that we live in. And help us to learn to be wise and to express that wisdom as James will help us to understand in gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen.